The Medallion, Chapter 7 Hey, are you deaf? Startled from his thoughts about how to best test the dynamite, Corvin turned to find the crew boss standing in the tunnel just behind him. There's a phone call for you up at the site office. It's the police. They need to talk to you. He turned on his heel and disappeared around the corner. Corvin leaned his pickaxe against the wall and ran to catch up with him. Did they say what it's about? The man shook his head as he strode into the main corridor. Corvin followed him to the metal lift cage. The crew boss slammed the gate shut and the platform began its long, slow journey back to the surface. Corvin leaned back against the metal bars. Had something happened to his mother in the city? To Kate? The wall slid slowly past until the cage shuddered to a stop in the large room at the top of the shaft. The doors of the building were standing open and a brilliant light filled the sky, blinding him as a loud blast shattered the night air. Corvin shielded his eyes. What's going on? The crew boss snorted. Haven't you ever seen fireworks? It's Halloween and the kids are out celebrating. He slapped Corvin on the back. You should join them. You're about the right size. Bring us back some treats. Laughing, he pointed toward the site office. Hopefully they didn't get tired of waiting and hung up. Corvin headed toward the small building, too worried about his mom and Kate to take offense at another joke about his height. Inside, the night shift supervisor nodded at the phone hanging on the wall. You've got to talk loud. It's not working too good. Corvin lifted the earpiece and leaned over the speaking horn. Hello, this is Corvin. All he heard was static on the line. He tried again and a tinny voice crackled in his ear. Corvin, I'm glad I got a hold of you. This is Sam Green. Listen, there's been some trouble at your place. A series of firework blasts rattled the windows and Corvin pushed the earpiece tighter against his head. What kind of trouble? Your mother asked us to keep an eye on things and check in on Kate, especially tonight with all the pranks. We drove out past the place, but it was too late. Someone has broken in and the back window is smashed. What about Kate? There wasn't anyone around, but we found a trail of blood in the kitchen most likely from the people who broke in when they got caught on the window glass. We did see a few large boot prints in the snow near the front door, but everything else was wiped out by the blizzard. I'll come down right away. Can you let your mother know? Sure. The words slipped out even as a plan formed in Corvin's mind. He'd thumb a ride home and check out the house before he called his mother. Tell her not to worry, Sam said. We'll board up the window. Corvin hung up the phone without even saying goodbye. Who would want to break into their house? And where was Kate? Is everything okay? The supervisor leaned over his desk. Looks like I need to go home for the weekend. The man nodded. No problem. You're due for some shifts off. I'll be in Dutch with the union if you were injured down there. Well, I've got to go check on our house and the girl that's staying with us. The man smiled. Aha, uh -huh, the girl. Corvin shrugged. He didn't care what the man thought. Besides, now he actually was worried about Kate. Bob Shepard will be going past your place soon. You can catch a ride home with him. He's over by the tipple, greasing one of the conveyor motors. I'll call over and tell him to wait for you. Corvin always avoided the tipple. The noise and dust in the five-story building bothered him. He hated having to spend an entire lift picking rocks out of the crushed coal as the large chunks thundered along the huge conveyor belts and dropped into the waiting rail cars. Corvin made his way down the lane that led to the massive structure. Its long wooden arms hung out over the jumble of railway tracks and loading docks like the tentacles of the water creature down in the core. Tonight the tipple was quiet, but when coal was moving out in steady black streams, the building shook so violently that he wondered if the whole thing would collapse and swallow him up inside. 
A burst of light made him look back. More fireworks. Good thing we have some snow this year to make sure those idiots don't set the hills on fire. Corbin turned to find Bob Shepard standing among the huge support timbers that held up the tipple. The man shook his head. Last year, one of them kids got his hands on a stick of dynamite and blew my outhouse to kingdom come. Real funny. Corvin ran a hand over his coat and the packets Jake had given him. They called, said you needed a ride. I'll bring the truck over to the wash house, but you'd better be quick about it. Corvin nodded and jogged toward the high-peaked roof ringed with smoke from the coal-fired boilers. The hot air from the water heaters would be keeping his regular day clothes warm in a metal basket tied up high in the rafters. Stripping down, Corvin rinsed off in the shower, glad he was alone instead of with a full shift of grown men. Out in the change room, he lowered his basket, took his day clothes out and replaced them with his work clothes. Pulling the basket into the air, he hung the chain on a well-worn nail beneath a metal plate stamped with the number 17, his dad's tag number. Corvin touched the tarnished surface and nodded to himself. With the dynamite, at least now he had a hope of getting back to the core and searching for his father. Although he was concerned about Kate, this might be his best chance to blast a hole through the Sark's dwelling under the castle rocks. Corvin pulled his coat back on just as a horn honked. Running outside, he jumped into Bob's old pickup. Aren't you forgetting something? The man pointed to the small building next to the wash house. Or do you want everyone out searching the mine for you again? Corvin's ears burned as he jumped out of the truck and sprinted over to the lamp house. Each miner picked up a numbered brass tag on his way into the mine and hung it back up on the assigned peg on his way out. If a man's tag was missing at the end of the shift, everyone would be called out to look for him. Corvin made that mistake once, and it looked like they would never let him forget it. Back in the truck, he hunched down against the door and let the warmth from the heater at his feet wash up over his body. The curtain of snow swirling toward them in the glow of the headlights was blinding, and he closed his eyes and rested his head against the cold window. The next thing he knew, his head thumped on the glass as the truck went over a bump. The railway crossing near Baron's store slid past the window. He must have been more tired than he thought. He'd slept the entire way home. The truck pulled up to the open gate at the end of the lane to Corvin's house. Hope things work out. Have a good night. Corvin pushed the door open and tugged his coat close around his neck as he stepped out into the snowy night. Thanks, Mr. Shepard, the man smiled. You can call me Bob now. You're one of us. Corvin nodded and shut the door. The truck pulled away, leaving him in a swirl of snow. Thick drifts covered the lane up to the house, but the vehicles that had come and gone had left a few ruts to walk in. A gust of wind blew up the legs of his trousers. Wherever Kate had gone, he hoped she'd dressed warmly. A person could freeze to death on a night like this. The front door was locked and Corvin felt around the top of the doorframe until he found the spare key. Inside, the house was almost as cold as it was outside. Kate? He called her name, but even as he did, he knew she wasn't in the house. Sprinting up the stairs, he checked her bedroom. Empty. And the clothes that were usually neatly folded on top of his grandfather's wooden chest were gone. Corvin sat on the bed and looked out the ice-encrusted window. The fresh snow made the ring of stones around the castle rocks look like marshmallows on a satin tablecloth. Crossing to the oak chest, he lifted the lid. Nothing had been moved inside and the secret compartment was still fastened tight. When Gavin's fake hammer hadn't worked on the core entry, he considered breaking the chest to retrieve the book but he couldn't bring himself to ruin his grandfather's masterpiece. Not much point anyway, since he couldn't open the book without the hammer. Out in the back porch, the screen door creaked, and a few more flakes of snow blew through the crack below the kitchen door. A stained piece of paper fluttered in a miniature snowdrift forming on the floor. Picking it up, he recognized Kate's tidy script. 
Most of the words were a blur of blue ink, but two lines were clear. I'm going to the city to find a job. Thank you for your kindness, and please tell Corvin goodbye from me. So Kate really had been saying goodbye earlier. At least she'd left before the house was broken into and caught the bus into the city. Now he could focus on the task at hand. He would look her up after his father was safely back home to see how she was doing. Corvin examined the boards nailed up over the kitchen window. Why would anyone bother to break in? Everyone in town knew they didn't have anything worth stealing. Pieces of glass were scattered on the floor, and drops of dried blood traced a path back to the dumbwaiter. Corvin opened the small door. The lift had fallen down along with the rope. Someone had broken into the workshop. Running out the back door, he pushed through the drifts that had gathered against the house. His heart sank at the sight of the open cellar doors, and the mess inside stopped him cold. Most of the metal pieces from the shelves had been thrown to the floor, and everything was gone from the workbench. The table in the center of the room had been knocked over, and the box of things for his trip to the core was gone. He crossed the room. The dumbwaiter doors were askew, and the rope was in a tangled heap on top of its broken shell. Corvin climbed inside and used a board to dig around in the sand. The medallion was no longer there. But how could anyone have known where it was in the first place? Was Billy spying on him when he had thrown it into the dumbwaiter? He was definitely interested in it when they met at the Castle Rocks. Corvin left the dumbwaiter shaft, skirted the overturned table, and felt under the shelf to release the catch of the hidden shelving door. A wash of blue light cascaded through the opening. The lumian seed he had planted was now the size of a grapefruit. Leaf tendrils were winding their way over the rock, and three smaller globes were playing peekaboo between the massive vines. This must be a mother plant if it could reproduce itself so quickly. Corvin touched one of the globes, and it brightened to the color of the full moon. His stomach rumbled at the thought of that tangy juice, and he pulled the lumian closer. If the plant was reproducing this fast, it would be fine to eat at least one of the little fruits. Plucking the round globe from its stem, Corvin nibbled a hole in the skin. The juice swirled in his mouth like the first sip of strong coffee after a long shift down in the mine. Popping the whole thing in, he worked the flesh away from the seed. The fruit of the lumian slid down his throat and a sensation of well-being flooded his body. Corvin touched his tongue to the pointy end of the seed and a shiver of excitement coursed through him, reminding him of the intense sensation when he had bitten down on the seed in Sarek's dwelling. Sarek had stopped him, but ever since that time, Corvin had thought about that powerful jolt of pleasure. Jord claimed it was against the law to consume the seeds, but that was down in Kadir where they had a limited supply. This mother plant was producing multiple fruits, so eating one seed wouldn't limit its life. Besides, the plant was a gift to him from Sari. If eating this small seed could help him rescue his father, then that was more important than all the rules down in Kadir. He would need extraordinary strength to defeat the Rakash, and this seed could give its power to him, just like it had to the chief watcher on his first trip to the core. The memory of the black lizard writhing in pain on the floor of the high priest's great hall nodded his stomach. That seed from the mother plant gave the chief watcher incredible strength, but at a terrible cost. And Kate had changed a lot after one of the seeds from the pouch had only burned into her hand. What would happen if he actually ate one? Holding the seed up between his thumb and forefinger, he examined it closely. This one was tiny. Nothing at all like the huge seed the chief watcher had eaten. Corvin put the kernel back in his mouth, pressed his tongue to the pointy end, and savored the sensation. As the energy flowed into his head, he knew without a doubt that the seed would make him stronger. Its power was his if he so desired. Working the seed over to the side of his mouth, Corvin applied a bit of pressure. It was tougher than he thought. 
like a pistachio nut that hadn't been cracked enough to open by hand. He bit down harder, and it finally broke in two, sending a jolt of raw energy rumbling through his body like a freight train, its light shining through his skin as it coursed through his veins. The sensation picked up speed and thrust out towards his fingers. The room began to spin, and Corvin reached out to steady himself against the rock wall. The power rushed to his hand and shot from his palm like a jet of water from a fire hose. The force tossed him back into a heap on the floor. Corvin's equilibrium slowly returned, but he lay on the ground, unable to move. Something crackled above him, and he tipped his head forward until a glowing red hole in the rock came into view. His forehead broke out in a cold sweat. The power from that one little seed was strong enough to melt granite. The angry red faded as the rock cooled and gray ash drifted to the floor. He tried sitting up, but his body refused to cooperate. The jolt of lumium power had completely drained him. He could barely lift his arm. A shiver ran through him, the cold running all the way to his core as if he'd fallen through the ice into a frozen pond. A splash of light fell at his feet. Above him, the stem of the plucked fruit was oozing clear blue liquid. Corvin inhaled deeply and absorbed the minute bits of energy suspended in the air. Using all his remaining strength, he pivoted his body around until his open mouth was beneath the forming droplet. It swelled, quivered, and fell, splashing on his cheek. Corvin shifted over a few inches, watching the stem closely. Finally, another drop formed. This time the juice fell into his mouth and ran down his throat, the energy flowing into his heart. His chest grew warm, but his hands and legs grew colder. He thought about moving some heat into his hands, and the energy left his chest and surged toward his fingers. He let it rest a moment, and then thought about warming his toes. At that thought, his muscles relaxed as the heat radiated down his legs. The ability to control the energy and make it go wherever he wished felt unbelievably good. Another drop splashed into Corvin's mouth, and he moved its energy into his mind. The tunnel grew brighter, and minute details in the rocks jumped out at him. In the stillness, he could even hear the Lumian plant growing and moving out along the wall. One last drop fell, and this time Corvin pushed it deep into the muscles of his arms. The power energized him, and he catapulted himself off the ground and onto his feet in one swift move. If he could do all this with a few drops from the vine, being able to control the power from the seat itself would make him invincible. It would be easy to break through to Sarek's dwelling and go to the core and rescue his father. As Corvin stood to his feet, his knees began to shake, and his heart wrapped in his chest like a toy drum. He needed more power, but the other two globes were nowhere to be seen. The blue Lumion was hiding them from him like a mother hen hiding her chicks beneath her wings. Pushing his hands through the tendrils, he found one, but it was solidly attached to the rock, and the vines fought against him. Pulling out his pocket knife, he flicked open the blade and cut through the stem. A gush of liquid squirted out, ran down his arm, and dripped on the cavern floor. Corvin sucked the fruit from the seed, but this time it didn't give the same satisfaction. His body was craving the seed, not the fruit. A wave of dizziness dropped into his knees and a stabbing pain shot across his chest. Taking a tiny nibble of the seed, he allowed the rush of power to run straight into his throbbing heart. The hollow feeling subsided and the pain melted away. The rest of the seed lay twitching in his hand, bright red liquid oozing from its wound. Could he handle more? Already he felt stronger and more capable. Taking another tiny bite, he let the seed's energy flow into his core. Yes, he was getting stronger. He could handle even more. Popping the rest into his mouth, he chewed fast. The energy filled his nostrils and shot up into his head, making his eyes water. 
The power throbbed in his chest and he jumped back to his feet. If the energy got away on him again, it might tear his heart in two. Fear set in as Corvin struggled to keep the power from jumping out of his chest. He concentrated and let a tiny bit into his veins and it ran wild through his body and then settled down as he directed it into his right arm. The muscles in his forearm tensed and rippled, just like the forearms of the chief watcher. Could he become as evil as the black lizard? But the power itself wasn't evil. Instead, he would use it to set things right and make people like Billy stop hurting others. Just like Charles Atlas in his comic books, nobody would be able to push him around anymore. He could stand up for himself and for others. Corvin focused on keeping the power restrained inside his heart. Gingerly, he reached out and touched a finger to the rock wall. A twinge of pressure jumped in his chest, but the energy remained confined. Opening his hand, he grabbed the edge of the jagged rock where the first bolt of energy had blasted a hole. Placing the other hand next to the hole, he pushed a small amount of power to both his arms and his muscles bulged. Corvin tugged on the edge and pushed away with the other arm. A large wedge of granite broke away from the wall. The chunk must weigh a good 50 pounds, but it felt more like a baseball to his energy-rich muscles. Pulling his arm back like a pitcher on the mound, Corvin released more energy into his arm and hurled the stone down the length of the tunnel. The rock shattered to bits in a cloud of debris. A shadowed form took shape within the dust and ran directly at him.